we will be exploring a location in Wolverhampton in England that since 1943 was established and used as an independent school. Known today as Tettenhall College, this Grade 2 special listed building was formerly a large house known as Tettenhall Towers and dates back to 1771. This building has an interesting and varied past, one that many still feel haunts the present. Tettenhall Towers was first built as a country house in 1771 by Thomas Pearson, a building which still stands today, but in a somewhat enlarged form of Pearson's Georgian original. The Pearson family were a wealthy family, and one of several families in the area with connections to the slave trade and the major British ports of Liverpool and Bristol. This is in fact how the Pearsons had amassed their wealth. The Pearson family made their fortune trading in iron, and the goods made from it, such as African chains and hard or soft Negro collars as these were both known. Rather tellingly, these items were listed and sold alongside similar items, such as dog and horse collars and handcuffs. Deeds in Wolverhampton's archives also link the Pearsons to the Caribbean. One refers to a Henry Pearson, who was born in Wolverhampton and later died in Antigua. His will left his lands in Antigua and elsewhere in the Caribbean to his wife. Evidently, Henry Pearson was also a wealthy man at the time of his death, having profited from the slave trade. The area of Wolverhampton and the surrounding black country, at this time, whilst not as obvious as the ports of London, Bristol and Liverpool, certainly had strong links with the slave trade and should not be forgotten. In 1853, Colonel Thomas Thornycroft purchased this large country Georgian property and over the years he extended the house adding the towers onto which he also installed signalling equipment. It was these towers which gave it its name Tettenhall Towers in 1866. The Colonel was a keen inventor, musician, writer, sanitation and ventilation enthusiast and a prominent figure in the local community. Thomas converted the house into one of the most remarkable houses in the district and filled it with some of his unusual inventions and his many shooting trophies. He shot almost anything that moved, especially if it had horns and could be used to decorate walls or embellish armchairs. Thomas designed much of the furniture in the house and added the great hall, complete with a stage and seating for 500 people. It included an auditorium, a backdrop for scenery, and a fan that blew hot, cold or scented air into the room. It also featured a waterfall at the back of the stage, in which water cascaded down from a tank that was 44 feet above the ground. The waterfall was lit by coloured lights to create a spectacular scene. Another spectacular feature in the Great Hall was a water pump that blew a jet of air into the base of the fire in the Inglenook fireplace, which sent flames roaring up the chimney. This theatre space had a sprung oak floor, which was an ideal place for dancing. 
ornate wooden panelling adorned the theatre made either by local craftsmen, or in some cases purchased from Tewkesbury Abbey and Ludlow Castle to form part of the panelling sections. Antlers, cattle horns and animal heads embellished every wall and feature that it could including many of the arms of the chairs. Two chandeliers would be lit by gas emerging from the points of antlers. His many inventions included an elaborate system of ventilation for the house and a special toilet to go with the 20 or so toilets that he had installed there. Another consisted of a device that pumped foul air from the sewers which was then burned at the top of the pipe, about 40 feet from the house. There were ventilating fans in many of the rooms and an elaborate heating system and others to heat clothes. Thomas Thornycroft had a multitude of other inventions, including a patent for burning microbes in sewer gas, improvements in road carriages, a steerage device for balloons, a full-length mirror door for wardrobes, a glass umbrella so that you could see where you were going in rainy weather, a sock warmer on which to hang socks and shoes to dry, a set of playing cards for the blind, and a safety bottle opener. He was fascinated by hot air balloons and flight in general, and in 1882, in a balloon called the Dudley Castle, his journey would almost end in tragedy when it failed to ascend adequately, putting it into the path of a local ironworks furnace, hence his designs for better balloon steerage devices. He would invent flying machines that would be launched and tested from the very towers of Tetton Hall. In 1902, Thomas visited the Wolverhampton Art and Industrial Exhibition and was fascinated by the Great Water Chute in which boats were hauled to the top of an inclined plane before plummeting downwards into the lake. Of course, he had to try it out for himself. On this occasion, the boat hit the water slightly askew and Thomas was thrown heavily against the side of the boat. He was badly shaken and became very ill. He never recovered from the illness and died at home on the 6th of February 1903. He was a man remembered for his eccentricities and his inventions. In 1943, Tettenhall Towers would become the site for the school that you see today. There is no doubt that Tettenhall Towers has had a colourful and intriguing past, and I'm sure still holds many secrets within its walls. teacher and someone interested in historical buildings and their haunted history, I couldn't really pass up the opportunity to explore this location one half term, especially as it is considered one of the most haunted locations in Wolverhampton. The Towers for many has a frightening reputation, and one with many areas where people have refused to enter. This is a building composed of dark repressive corridors and spooky stairways leading to a maze of rooms and attics and cellars. Heavy footsteps, whispers and voices have often been heard and reported echoing around the many eerie spaces of this building. Apparitions and figures are reported, as well as poltergeist activity. Colonel Thornycraft was an impressive figure in life, and many believe that his spirit is still attached to this property, the home he lavished all of his attention onto. For some they believe that he stays in his home 
not appreciating the visitors that disturb his domain. For others, they recall the local stories shared of Colonel Thornycroft and his darker and meaner streak. The death of his faithful butler, possibly at the hands of the Colonel, for example, who, according to many stories and local legends, was pushed by him from the towers in one of his inventions as part of his flying investigations and tests. Let's dive into some of the things I experienced whilst I was there, at the end of which you should ask yourself, would this be a location you would want to stay in after dark? This location hands down has to have some of the creepiest areas that I have ever investigated. It is actually hard to know where to begin. There was a clear difference in atmosphere between some sections of the building for what felt like very different reasons. There will be some key locations that I want to share for you for this podcast. The cellar, the attic, the staging area, the colonel's room and a couple of the classroom areas. We began the evening in one of the cellar areas. To venture into this cold, dark and confined space, you had to descend via the steepest stairs. You felt like you were disappearing into some incredibly deep cavern. Just try and picture it. Imagine that musty smell and stagnant air, cold seeping into your bones. Chilling, atmospheric, haunting. You could list the adjectives to describe this area. It was one way you would feel noticeable cold temperature drops in certain areas by you, your left shoulder, for example, before someone else would experience something similar close by, and then it would move on. This was a closed space, no windows or doors close by to account for the very visible drops that many of us would experience and pick up on. These temperature drops would also be picked up on the temperature readers that we had in the group. The way these cold spots would localise and move, it was almost like something was moving around the space. Over time, shadowy figures were seen and reported by some in the group. This particular part of the house certainly ticked all of the boxes when you think of creepy cellar, and it didn't disappoint in terms of activity. It left you with a feeling like this was just the warm-up act for what was to come. The stage area proved also to be active. The seating area and balconies that the audience could look down from onto the stage below and the dance floor was one where we heard repeated knocks and unexplained bangs when nobody else was near those areas. And these were knocks and bangs that were more than just the regular groans and creaks of an old building. The backstage area was a really interesting one. People feeling like something was stood by them. Some of the women in our group experienced feeling like they were being touched briefly. It felt like you were in the presence of a really cheeky chap taking a keen interest in some of the ladies in the group. And their bottoms. Light-hearted and cheeky. A lighter atmosphere, but one where you really felt something was there. From here, we would move on to the main stage. This held a much different atmosphere, heavier. From here, you could see surrounding you from above the balconies I mentioned, where we had heard those very clear bangs and knocks. 
you could also look up and see the workings of the rigging of the stage operations. The inner hidden floors where people would have helped with lighting, staging, scenery and whatever else. Stood where we were we could once again hear bangs and knocks and certainly it felt like throughout our time there that something was watching us, something with a heavier presence. The attic is an area that many have reported feeling the presence of children and hearing them whispering, giggling and running around playing. That certainly was not the feeling that I was left with, or that others in the group that I was with would come away with. To get to the attic you had to navigate some pretty tricky old wooden stairs and floorboards, weaving through old costumes and other apparatus. The attic was thick with dust, it clung to your lungs. It was low in height in some places, meaning you had to sit or kneel. In other areas, it would open up and lead to other sections. Felt like a bit of a warren, sections leading off to other sections. You could plainly see through the floorboards in some areas. Once again, a very oppressive and much heavier atmosphere. We were in one section which was next to another part of the attic which had in the past been completely closed up and sealed in. Later the brickwork would be exposed in that section. Over time this area would impact quite heavily on people in the group. People feeling very ill. Strong smells of what felt like stagnant sweat and other bodily odours coming through. It felt like sickness and death. The group I was with were sat next to each other on opposing walls and partway through the vigil it felt like our group was growing in numbers. The room seemed to get smaller and smaller and it felt like we had less and less space. It was at this point that some started to feel the presence of others laying on the ground or sitting with us. I personally had the feeling of someone in chains opposite me. The caretaker would tell us later stories of slaves that had been held up there when sick to die. Some even having been closed in behind the wall I mentioned. This isn't something I can corroborate. Details and records of things like this are very scant, if at all. But it certainly left us with questions as to what had happened up there, given the various things people had felt, seen or smelt. At this point we would all venture off into different sections. I made it to a section of the school that had music classrooms and English rooms. One end of the hallway was locked and led into the backstage area from above, onto those parts I mentioned earlier, the working parts of the stage from higher up. I peered in through the window that was in that door to see what I could see, and then turned to walk down that hall. As I did this, it really felt like something was behind me watching me. If you have ever played that childhood game of turning quickly around to try and catch your friends sneaking up behind you, it was like that. I would repeatedly turn around, always expecting to see something. It felt like something was getting closer and closer. It was a feeling that stayed with me for quite some considerable time after this. A feeling that lingered down the corridor and into the music room I went into, and then stayed with me for quite some time as I went from room to room. I would end up in an English classroom, that feeling still with me, something really lurking and uncomfortable about it. 
A few of us were in that room and would use the spirit box. Words like girl and beautiful would come through. The longer we stayed in this room, more and more it felt like something was getting closer to me, more brazen. Several times I felt like I was being poked in my back, my arms and other parts of my body. And this would usually be when something would come through on the spirit box with words like I previously mentioned. This location is the one and only time I have felt something touching me intentionally. It truly felt like I was being targeted in some way. Hours later when the investigation was over and I was back in my hotel, I would discover the beginnings of small bruises dotted in places around my back, my arms and other locations. The places I had felt clear pokes and prods, small finger-like bruises. The final location within the house I want to mention is the Colonel's room. The man many reporters making his presence known in what were his parts of the house he would sleep and work in. Again, here was a very different atmosphere. Nothing sinister, but just a feeling that you were intruding in some way into space that wasn't yours. Some of us would try moving a glass, spinning it on the surface of the table to build up energy, and likewise with a coin, taking your fingers off of it. Effectively, we were using it like a Ouija planchette, and the table was our space for the items to move to answer questions, or just do something to the items themselves. We would try over and over with nothing of any note happening, other than a feeling of curiosity, something watching and curious as to what we were doing. As always, I will post some pictures on my social media pages to help capture and share some of these moments with you and the atmosphere this building had. I started this podcast by asking you, would you visit here after dark? If the answer to that is yes, where would you want to explore? That creepy attic? The dark, stagnant cellar? Or maybe you would like to try and capture something from the figure that I think hangs around that staging area, the one I feel followed me for part of the night. For now, I will say thank you for listening, and I will see you next weekend. Bye for now, everyone. special announcement to also make. I have been busy over the Christmas holidays building a new website for Haunted History Chronicles. It's still a work in progress but I would love you to go over to there, have a look. It has a lot of different new features, ones that I hope you'll be able to engage with and enjoy. I will put the new description for that website into the description box below so that you can access it. I'd love to see you over there. If you like this podcast, you can help in different ways. Come and join us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Help spread the word with friends and family. Share the news of the podcast with other people that may be interested. Down in the description box below is also an access to Patreon, where you can continue to support the podcast further and in the process gain access to some extra goodies. If you ever get the time to write a review, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, everyone.